going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit today, talk about joy today. Um, reminds me of last week's lesson and something that I'd forgotten to mention about last week's lesson. And I uh, wanted to use that to sort of bridge last week's and this week's lesson together, hopefully. Talking about love and our love and love God, the love that God has for us and a God-like love that he wants for it to, to develop and, and grow in us. Uh, at the end of that lesson, I wanted to, to talk about the output matching the, the intake. And I was thinking about that the week before and again this week. I often think about when, when you work out and the output is going to match the intake. The, the good stuff you put in your body, the good workouts you're going to do, there's going to be an output of, of good things because of that. It's the same thing with love, and I think it's the same thing with joy, that as we fill ourselves more and more with Jesus Christ, the output is going to be more Jesus Christ. The output is going to be a person or man or woman that looks more and more like him each day because of who we put in our life. But if I'm not putting him in my life, if I'm not daily taking him in and daily working with him and, and letting him work with me, then the output is going to look sad. It's going to be less than less than stellar, really. Sometimes it's too. I, I think, you know, I like to work out and I like to, to lift weights. But then I, I go to somebody's house and I help them move furniture or I go do some real work like digging or something like that. And all of a sudden, the, the gym muscles don't work as well as the you got to lift heavy things muscles. <laughs> because, you know, you, 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 work, you, got so many, you got so many muscles. you got so many stabilizers with the muscles, right? And, and all those little stabilizers need to be strong, too. So when you're doing a bench press, you're working some muscles, but there's some stabilizer muscles that don't get worked out. And if you use a Smith machine or something like that, a Smith machine, which you don't have to worry about, you know, moving back and forth, it's just up and down. I don't have one of those. I wish I did sometimes. But if you have one of those, you work even less muscles. Even though you're working muscles, you're working less muscles. The stabilizer muscles aren't getting much work. And, and I kind of liken my, my spiritual life to that too, because you can work out some muscles but then the little stabilizer muscles that, that need to come into effect during the week don't get worked out. And you get out there in the real world and you get up, you start button heads with, with Satan. You start button heads with things. And well, those stabilizer muscles need to really come into effect. You need to start training a little harder. In fact, uh, I've got rings. You guys know what the rings are, right? The Olympic rings thing? I've got those and I've got them tied up in my rafters in my gym. Uh, gym, my uh, garage. I call it a gym. <laughs> It's a garage. It's a glorified gym. But it, who, who likes to do push-ups? Anybody like to do push-ups? Yes. All right. There you go. That, that's right. And if you don't like to do push-ups, why not? They're awesome. They're a lot of fun. But anyway, try, try push-ups on the rings. Have you done the push-ups on the rings? You guys that like, no? Man, that, that changes your workout entirely. You're doing push-ups, normal push-ups, which are tough enough as it is. But now try just, you know, taking, I got the rings maybe an inch or inch and a half off the ground. So you're grabbing the rings and you're doing push-ups. And all those stabilizer muscles that you never felt before start coming into effect. And you're, I'm shaking. 
you know, as you're going down and shaking as you're coming up. It's, it's wonderful. It's amazing. And the, and the feeling afterward is amazing, too. It's, it's that you know you're getting some good work, and the output is going to be better than before, right? You're going you're gonna to hit the muscles you never hit before. And I'm going to walk away from that workout the next day feeling sore, which means I feel huge. And, and then I'm, I'm going to be building that muscle every day. And that's like our spiritual life. You know, we, we've got to build that muscle. We've got to be in the Word. We've got to be in prayer. We've got to be, be in, in this with the Spirit, Him molding us and shaping us. And, and those workouts, sometimes they hurt. And, and they should hurt sometimes. They stretch us. They, 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 they test us. The, those stabilizing muscles are starting to, to, to shake. But when, when you relax after that, you drink your protein and you eat your dinner, you know the next day, that muscle's going to start building. It's going to start repairing itself. On all those tears that you just just did to your muscles, it's going to start rebuilding. And you're going to walk away the next day a little tougher, a little stronger. I think, I think that's part of what, what God does with us and through us and with the Spirit. He's helping us work out these spiritual muscles so that we look more and more like Jesus. But it's not an easy process. And, and it takes the stretching, it takes the, uh, the growing, it takes the effort. Not only on God's part, God makes a, a huge effort in all of this. But he also asks of me and you, I, I, I need something from you too. I need you to work with me. So today we're going to look at the joy part of that. And I've got three things that I want to look at. And, and Bill in his class this morning, there was another thing that I thought, well, I could have touched on that too this morning. Every time I sit in Bill's class, I, there, there's something that... That, that dovetails off of mine, it seems like. Uh, but I'm not going to be able to hit that part, but I want to I briefly touch on it too because I think that's another aspect of joy that we should be looking at. Um, but quickly, let, go over to 1 Corinthians. I want to introduce it this way. In the foundation process, another scripture that, that was brought up this morning in class, 1 Corinthians 3, when Paul is talking about building on that foundation, Bill was talking about, you know, a man or a person in Christ building on the foundation here. In verse 10, Paul says, According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Another is building upon it, but let each man be careful how he builds upon it. And what is the foundation there? Verse 11, Jesus Christ, right? This is that foundation that we're building on. it, And I love that, that verse there because what does it tell you right off the bat that we've been talking about? In, in, in the sermons and in classes for a long time. Anybody, what, what does that tell you? This foundation is what? It's Jesus, but what does that mean? Solid. solid. Trustable. Trustworthy, trustable. It's built on a person. It's built on Jesus Christ. It's not built on, on our ideas. It shouldn't be built on our ideas. It shouldn't be built on the foundation that we lay. It's built on Jesus himself. That's the foundation. That's the only foundation that we should have. Jesus Christ himself. And, and if we're talking about building these stabilizing muscles and our muscles, the spiritual muscles that help us produce, well, help with the help of the Spirit, produce this, this fruit of the Spirit, and we got to remember who we're building on. The, builder, the building is done on Jesus Christ. Him working in us and through us. And that's why I think the first part of this joy that, that I want to look at is, where is this joy found? 
if we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit is joy, where do I find that joy? First place I think I find that joy is in the sovereignty of God. The fact that God is over everything. Just think about that for a second. If God is not over everything, if God is not in charge of everything, then can I really have pure joy in him? And I have pure joy in anything. If, if God is not really in charge, then I think we're all in trouble. I think the first thing we find is that God is in charge of everything, obviously, and, and that his sovereignty gives me a reason to have that joy. But I want you to re- I want you to listen to this. This guy, um, I can never pronounce his name. He wrote one of the books that was recommended to me years and years ago. I, I liked it a lot. Um, it was about people who go to either what you call seminaries or it, any Bible classes. A lot of times, when you go through a whole bunch of Bible classes, you come out with this this impression that now you have pretty much every answer. You know. You're the one that's been sitting there studying while everybody else is, is working, right? So it's, it's, it's a guide for you. I think it's called a guide for young theologians to help you remember that even though you've been sitting there studying the Bible, you're not the expert. You, you don't have all the answers. You might walk out of that seminary thinking, oh, man, I've got it all. I've got boom, boom, boom. But uh, nope. No sooner do you run into somebody who's wiser, smarter than you. And, and that's happened to me over and over again. I liked his book so much because it kind of knocks you down a few pegs when you think, oh, I've got all the answers now. I know what God wants, and I'll tell you what you need to know. Now, he says this about joy. I like his approach on this, joy. Should we not see the lines of laughter about the eyes are just as much marks of faith as are the lines of care and seriousness? Is it only earnestness that is baptized? Is laughter pagan? We have already allowed too much that is good to be lost to the church and cast many pearls before swine. A church is in a bad way when it banishes laughter from the sanctuary and leaves it to the cabaret, the nightclub, and the toastmasters. Just talking about... just he, He's talking about laughter. He's talking about... Um, not not taking things so seriously because where should we be able to have fun? We should be able to have fun with each other. Amen. We should be able to sit here and, and enjoy each other's company. We have a common faith, number one. And when I tell a joke, you guys should laugh loudly. <laughs> no, Frank? No? Okay. Yeah, it depends on the joke, right? Yeah. Whether it's good or not. Um, I fail miserably 90% of the time, I think, is my record at this point. 90% of the time in jokes. But anyway, we, we do have sometimes, and I'm saying that in a general sense, a tendency to take ourselves way too seriously. And when people look at us, they think, where is that joy? Where is the joy? And, and that's not just, that's not all the joy we're talking about. I think that's only an aspect of the joy. Ultimate joy is found in knowing God is in control of everything and that no matter what happens, God is in control. And that gives me a joy that cannot be taken away by anything else out there in the world. You can't rob my joy. You can't steal my joy. Because my joy is not built on what happens from day to day. It's not built on on situations or, or happenstance. It's built on the premise and the foundation of Jesus Christ himself. 
and the fact that he took my sins away and I stand redeemed, and that no matter what happens, I'm okay. But at the same time, if I take myself too seriously, why is that? Why would that ever be appealing to anybody out there in the world? Why would it be appealing for us to be these pious religious people who have all the answers but can't laugh with each other, can't smile with each other, can't joke with each other, even right now, have a joke or two, when it's appropriate, of course, have a joke. And when it's funny, have a joke and laugh with each other. My trust comes from God and knowing that he's in charge. Go over to Luke chapter 10. This is part of the foundation, the first, at least, principle for me in in this joy that he's in control always and forever. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and and said, I praise thee, O Father, O Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hadst hide these things from the wise and intelligent, and didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in thy sight. All these things handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son will, wills to reveal him. And turning to his to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. And thankfully, we get to see the things they see. Hindsight is twenty twenty vision, especially for us here, having this word revealed to us. But God is ultimately in control. Jesus is saying, I, I, you have handed these things to me. I'm going to make them known to everybody else. I'm in control. You're in control. God is in control. When you think about Jesus, do you think about him in that... Well, you've all seen the pictures, right? The, the, the Renaissance pictures of Jesus and the, the way he holds himself and the way the disciples, all that stuff. Do you see him that, as that pious religious guy that's, that's always got the, I don't know how the fingers go and you know the, how the standing. But do you see him like that? How do you see Jesus? When you read the gospel accounts, how do you see him? What does he, what does he jump out to you as? Anybody? You said in flannel graph? That's where I picture Okay. Okay. He's okay. got a smile on his face. He's And he's stuck on a board, two-dimensional. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, flannel graph. I remember flannel graph. Anybody else remember flannel graph? Okay. Flannel graph. I remember that. Jesus up there smiling, children. Okay. Did you say something, Frank? Thoughtful, kind, understanding. Yeah, that bleeds through in, in the in the scriptures. Thoughtful, kind, and understanding. Bill? He was a happy man. Happy man. Yeah. Now, now, why do you see him as a happy man? Is there something that... It says here that he rejoiced. Look, I think he got happy. Happy. Yeah. 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 Do you ever do you ever picture him as you're reading through the Bible thinking there's a big smile on his face? Absolutely. There's laughter coming out of that man. There's maybe joking with the disciples. I, I, I can imagine all of that. I, I can see that happening. Craig? I can see him laughing at his disciples. Laughing at his disciples? Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Their discipleship never wavers in the time that they're 
Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, he might, he might have he might have laughed at them every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's more than one aspect to Jesus, isn't there? there? There's tons of them. Like like Frank is saying, kind, compassionate. Uh, Laura Lance, the little kids and smile on his face. Do you have a hand back there, Pam? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Firm, strict, and he's he's got his like like that verse that says his face is like flint. He, he's set on his purpose. He knows what his purpose is. Jesus is is he comes across to me as a well-rounded individual. He's got this vast array of he can he knows his purpose and he will he won't be deterred. But at the same time, I think when a joke happens. I think he could be a guy that laughs right along with you and, and maybe even tells a joke or two right along with you and will laugh and, and have a good time. Yes, correct. Chip. A prankster. Okay. 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 All right. So maybe, yeah, maybe. A, <laughs> I think he was a well-rounded guy. I think he was a guy that you could, you could see. That guy knows who he is. He knows his purpose. He's okay with joking and laughing. And look at the, in Matthew chapter eleven. Look at what they, or at least some of the people, said about him and about how he comes. You know, in the comparison between um, John the Baptist and him. They say John, in verse 18 of chapter 11 in Matthew, says John came neither eating or drinking. And, of course, they said he's got a demon, right? In 19, what does it say? The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. Hmm. You, you, you're darned if you do and you're darned if you don't here in their vision. You, you can't get anything right. But Jesus here is viewed as somebody who's who's eating and drinking. He's... He's not, uh, you know, cutting himself off. He's he's in there with people. And of course, he's in there with the people that they don't want you to be a part of. At least this crowd doesn't want you to be a part of the tax gatherers, the quote unquote sinners. But this is this is a man who is a well-rounded man. I think he had joy, and I think he personified the joy that you can have in the spirit, the joy that that you see even when tough things are happening. When he's sitting in that garden and he's saying, "Not my will, but yours be done." There is a joy. That Hebrews uh, references when he says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. That's that kind of joy that he has because he knows who's in charge. He knows what he's doing. He knows why he's doing it. And that's that kind of joy that can't be taken away. Go over to the book of Philippians here. And um, I know we've gone through it before, but this is... A book a lot of times that people go to when you talk about joy. <clears throat> and I've given you my my chapter headings before. I'm gonna I'm gonna give those to you again, but I also want to point out a, a couple verses in here that lead me to the idea of, of a Christian's joy and how it looks in real life. In chapter two, verses twenty eight through thirty, look at this joy here. <clears throat> 
Paul says, Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, in order that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore receive him in the Lord with all joy, hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Paul is sending them this, this man who is close to death. I bet you that guy would say, yeah, I have joy. He may be close to death because of what he's doing and whatever you know, is going on here with him physically. But that joy that he would have in doing the work that Paul is saying here, I need you to go do this. And now Paul is turning around and saying to them, I want you to receive this man who has almost died for the gospel here with joy. This joy that, that, that transcends the circumstances which he'll be sent to you. Even the circumstances about the fact that you haven't been completely, uh, you haven't completed your service. This guy is going to complete your service here. There's a joy here that goes beyond just the physical things. Now go over to chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things again, to, again is no trouble to me and is a safeguard to you. Man. In the midst of trouble, in the midst of con, uh, constant problems here, in the midst of this, 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 these, I think there's some inward struggles here in this church here too. In the midst of all of this, Paul says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Even though you've got, you're going through things, even though you're having some trouble here, rejoice because, why? Because you know who God is. Because you know who Jesus is. Because you know the gospel. You can still rejoice even when there's trouble. Look at verse, or excuse me, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Here's where I think part of this is, you know, there's some problems inside here. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Iodia and Syntyche to live in harmony with the Lord. Live in harmony. And that's where you get later on down there in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Even when there's problems in the church, even when you have problems between sister and sister or brother and brother or brother and sister, there's joy to be had. We can still have joy. We can disagree and still be joyful. We don't have to agree on everything. And we can have some problems here and still live in harmony with each other. Because we're really, underneath it all, true yoke fellow together in the gospel and in the cause of Christ. No matter what else happens... We have a bigger cause together. Now, uh, chapter 3, again, verse 14 and 20. I want you to look at, at this here as Paul describes his, sort of his part of his journey. In chapter 3, all of the things that he says, I, all of that stuff, nothing. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Christ. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm pressing onward. All this stuff in my past, murder in my past, throwing people in jail in my past, all of that. For the joy set before me, I'm, I'm going I'm to move on because there's a bigger joy and I know whom I have believed in. I know where my citizenship is. I know what I'm waiting for. I know who has me. That's this, this idea of Paul and saying, I know. 
I know where my joy comes from. It comes from the fact that God is sovereign. He's over all. He's in all. He's through all. That's it. Second thing I think after joy being based on the sovereignty of God is joy is not something that precludes suffering. And again, I go back to that, that same weight training or the, in, in my life. There's, there is suffering in, in, in pushing up weights. I love the suffering, to be honest. I like that feeling. I love that on that last set and that last rep where you fail and the weight comes down and those bars catch it. That's where I think, ah, oh, that's awesome. I just failed. But that's because I pushed my, my, my muscles to that limit and I can't go anymore. There's that, there's that, that little bit of suffering in my body. My body is screaming at me, stop it, you idiot. And my mind is saying, no, push it just a little bit more because that's, that's, when, you, that's when you get the best, best rep. Push it just a little bit more. And I, and I get that, that, that suffering there that, 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 that increases my joy, really. And, and I think the, the Christian life is the same thing. That we, joy does not eliminate suffering. In fact, I think it's, it's a necessary part of, or of joy. There's some necessary suffering that we have to go through as Christians and should be going through as Christians. I want to read you a, a story of this girl. You probably uh, know her. A movie was made about her, I, I believe. Not too, well, maybe it was a long time ago now. I can't remember how long ago that was, and I, didn't, I don't think I saw it. Um, but th- th- this, this girl, Bethany Hamilton... Uh, the teen surfer that lost her arm or leg was a leg. She lost something. Uh, arm. Yeah, that's right. Arm. I don't think I have seen the movie because I can't remember what she lost. So but I, I like the story of, of her attitude after that because you could easily give, yeah, give up. You have a bad attitude the rest of your life. The absence of suffering does not produce pure joy or true joy. And the presence of pain does not eliminate true joy. For example, the women who have given birth understand that suffering and joy are not mutually exclusive. Bethany Hamilton, once ranked as the best amateur teen surfer in Hawaii, lost an arm to a tiger shark, 2003. Both her compassion and competitiveness, however, have reached a new level. Soon after the shark attack, she began to raise money to restore a man's eyesight. While visiting New York City, she gave her ski coat to a homeless girl. When asked about the gift, she said that she had more than she needed in life. Referring to her competitiveness, the story in the USA Today states, As always, Hamilton remains undaunted. She has told her father that if having only one arm proved detrimental to reaching the top in competitive searching, then she'd see about playing soccer. (laughs) I thought that was cool. If I can't do it here, I'll go do it here. Her uh, preacher, Steve Thompson, said she's looking forward to the future. She's asking herself, how can I show the world I still have a life, that I enjoy my life, and that my life is filled with joy? She has an underlying trust that God is taking care of her. I like that story. That, that there, is, there is some suffering in her life. She could easily, like you said, just give up. I can't do it anymore. But an, an underlying, apparently an underlying trust that God has her and that it's okay if she loses an arm. She can still do what she wants to do. And with God's help, she can get it done. Suffering. Go over to the book of James, chapter 1. You guys know the verse, right? James, chapter 1. 
talking about suffering. This is a another verse I go to a lot when you talk about suffering. <clears throat> because he says, after he introduces himself and says hi to all the, the 12 tribes dispersed abroad there, he says, consider it all joy, verse 2, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And there's a purpose in this. There's a purpose in the testing and the purpose in, in these, these encountering various trials that we have, that we fall into. James says, you can have joy in the midst of all those things. Why? Because you know who's in control, right? Number one, I know that God has everything in control. And that whatever I'm falling into is not bigger than him. And so I'm okay. And number two, the suffering that I'm going through will now produce in me something even greater. It will now make me even better in God. Go over to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. As he's admonishing the brothers and sisters and getting them ready for what they might be encountering in their everyday life. He says in verse 12 and 13 of uh, chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for the testing, for your testings, you may, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Don't be surprised at all, is what he's saying. Don't be surprised that there's things that are going to, to test you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, do what? Rejoice. Keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, what? Blessed are you. Because, why? The spirit of glory and of God rests on you. There again, I think Peter goes back to the very, the very essence of the joys. If, if you're being reviled because of Christ, you know that God has you. And the spirit of God and Christ is in you. So you don't have to worry about anything else. In fact, you can take pride in the fact that you've been persecuted for that. You can take pride in the fact that you've suffered anywhere close to what Christ has suffered. Hebrews reminds us again in that same chapter where he says, verse chapter 12, where he says, you know, for the joy set before him, he says later on, you know, not many of you have actually suffered to the point of shedding blood. I haven't suffered to the point of shedding blood for my faith. Anybody here suffered to the point of shedding blood for your faith? I haven't done that yet. Who knows what the future might hold, but I haven't done that yet. But we need to be ready to share in the sufferings of Christ, even if it comes to the point of shedding blood for our faith. Just like he shed blood for, his, for our faith, actually. Matthew chapter 5. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Again, the same, same thought about sharing in the sufferings of Christ and being worthy and actually, not being surprised when it happens, Peter says, don't be surprised. James says, this is going to happen. And when it does, let it, let it happen and, and let God work with you and through you and, and look for that perfect result. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, I want to pick up in verse 11. Blessed are, men when, blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. But why? For my name's sake, right, on account of me. Not just because they don't like the cut of your jib. Whatever that means. 
I always heard my parents say that. But not, not because you, 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 just, you just rub them the wrong way, but because of something in Christ that's in you, people recognize that and they cast insults at you. They persecute you. And then look at verse 12. The result of that is what? Rejoice. Rejoice and do what? Be glad. Re- be glad about that. For your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus here goes back to the prophets and says, they got that same treatment. Jesus gets that same treatment. Peter points back to Jesus and says, he got it. So now you can expect a similar treatment. But the joy that you have as a, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, doesn't get touched even by the suffering that you would go through. Because it's built on the foundation that God is in control. Jesus is in control. Jesus is in you. His spirit is in you. You don't have to worry about the suffering. So it's not eliminated by suffering. And the, the third point I had, I'm going I'm to put it aside really quick because it, it again, like I said, when, when Bill was doing the class this morning, it was thinking, oh, that, that could have been one of my points too this morning. Joy also comes when we get together and we worship together. The worshiping together brings joy. Now, it may not always feel like it Sunday mornings because sometimes we're tired and we're achy and sick. But there's some joy here this morning when brothers and sisters get together and we pray and we sing and we talk about Jesus and we ask each other, how are you doing? If we're getting down to the level of really, how are you doing? How are you, how are you holding up this week spiritually? What are you, what are you in? What are you, what are you going through? Is there anything I can pray for you about? There is some joy in there that you don't get Monday morning. You don't get uh, wherever it is you work. You don't get that same kind of joy that you can here. Now, the here could be anywhere. You know what I mean by here. I mean anywhere we meet together. As a body of believers, we have that joy together, that worship, that, that, that coming together. It reminded me of that song, number 559, The joy of the Lord will be my strength. I will not falter. I will not faint. He is my shepherd, I am not afraid. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It's that we could sing that here together. You could sing that, that you know, throughout the week. But as we sing it together, you can feel that joy. You know that joy. Why? Because the Lord is our shepherd. He has us in control. Even when we suffer, doesn't matter. Ultimately, doesn't matter. You can scratch the surface, but you can't touch the core. Because the core is Christ. My third point is true joy is serving the Lord and serving others. This one comes from a, a paper that my mother-in-law gave me last week that kind of brought that to mind. But also there's, there's a couple of verses, surprisingly enough, in the Bible that I thought, oh, that, that lends to that thought too. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Talking about having joy as a body of believers in our serving the Lord, period, and then serving each other. And even going beyond that at serving Others out there in the world. Second Corinthians chapter 8, 1 and 2. Paul telling the brethren there, We wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. He's saying, oh, I, Maybe they aren't the right people to be giving, but what are they doing? They're giving. Their, their, their joy in giving might produce some suffering, but their joy 
comes from the fact that they are working with their Lord. They're, they're helping their brothers and sisters. And they're willing to do what God is asking them to do. This, this wealth of giving here. This wealth of their liberality. Even though there's some deep poverty there, they're willing to give. I, I've seen that here too. In fact, I've seen that in most places where a need comes before the body and the body rises to meet that need. Because there's a joy in being able to help each other out. Even if it's just I, they need some money to buy food, there's a joy in that. There's a joy in being able to, to, to show your love to your brothers and your sisters. There's also a joy in, I think, simplicity. Go over to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Right, as the, the, the church is being formed and all of these new things are happening here, chapter 2 the simplicity with which these believers, these new believers are finding joy. Mine describes a gladness and sincerity of heart. But look at what they're doing. Verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They're taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Some joy in, in just simplicity, some joy in just meeting together and sharing together and, and the fellowship together. It goes right back to the worshiping together, too. I'm sure they were having joy there as well. The worship, the, the, the meals, the just getting together and being glad and, and having that heart of fellowship together. Go over to chapter 8 of that same book. Chapter 8, verse 39. And look at the joy here. There's a joy in a very brand new life. Philip and the eunuch, right? Goes down under the water. The Spirit of the Lord snatches Philip away, and the eunuch sees him no more. But what does the eunuch do? He goes on his way rejoicing. Exactly. There's this new life that he has, a new brother that he's just had snatched away from him, but new brothers that he's going to encounter, new body of believers that he's in, this new life that he's, that he's been welcomed into. There's a joy in that new life. Again, over in chapter 16, another aspect of that same joy with the jailer and his family. This brand new family and this new family getting together. Um, let's start. Uh, you, you, know, you probably know the story. They're, they're, Paul and Silas are in jail there. Earthquake. Jailer thinks they've left. He's all distraught because he's going to be held accountable. Um, and Paul, in verse 28, says, don't harm yourself, don't kill yourself, we're all here. Calls for the lights, and he says in verse 30, he's obviously, he's, he's got some information about Paul and Silas. He's got some information about what, is, what, is, what they're there for, probably, and understands something, because he asks them a very simple question, what must I do to be saved? Seeing the faith of these men and, and understanding maybe something about why they're there and what brought them there and who brought them there. He asked that question, verse 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved, you and your household. They speak the word of the Lord together with him in his house. Take him that very night, that very hour, verse 33, washed his wounds immediately, what? He's baptized all of his household there. Bring them into his house, set food before them, rejoiced greatly, having believed in God, he and his whole household. And more joy there in this brand new life, sharing a meal together, because now he understands something deeper something better, has a brand new family, understands God more, or at all. 
Now go back over to chapter 5 of Acts. Giving your fingers a workout again today. Chapter 5, verses 40 through 42. So... This, this, they're again having a problem with the, the religious leaders. They don't want them to teach about Jesus. Um, well, let me go back. I'm going to go back to 33. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and were intending to slay them. Right? So they, 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 they've been convicted about this, the, this preaching that they've been doing. They brought them before them. A certain Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council, gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. He said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. And he was slain, and all who followed him and were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. And so in the present case, I say, you stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action should be of men, what will happen? It's going to be overthrown, right? Just like all the other examples I've given you. But if it is of God, yeah, you you won't be able to stand this. You won't be able to overthrow them. You may be even found guilty of fighting against God. He makes a very compelling case. And they took his advice... And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus and then release them. So they went on their way of the presence of the council, ticked off that they had been considered worthy. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Does your version say rejoicing? Oh, interesting. Even after you get beat for uh, saying Jesus is Lord... You can go on your way rejoicing. There's joy in serving others. And I think the serving others part here and serving our Lord here is that there's joy when we get persecuted for doing what God is asking us to do. There's going to be joy if one day we get to be in a position where we get told not to speak anymore and they decide to flog us. What do we get to do? We get to walk away rejoicing. But we don't shut up either. Man, I almost swallowed that cough. Sorry. Yeah, for your joy. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Man, it's harder to talk and, and suck on a cough drop at the same time than I thought. All right. So, there's joy in even this. What it boils down to is something very simple, I think. Again, it's, it always boils down to something very simple. Do you all remember that acrostic joy? Mm-hmm. You remember that thing? Jesus first, others second, yourself last. It, it almost always boils down to something very simple. Jesus first. If, if we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit is love, Jesus first. What would he do? What kind of love would he show this person? What kind of a love should I have today? Well, let's look at Jesus and find out. If we're talking about joy, Jesus first. What what would Jesus want from me today? What would Jesus want? How would he want me to respond to this today? 
Would he want me to respond to this person because they, they said, well, oh, you're a Christian, I don't want to hear that crud. Would he want me to say, well, you're an idiot and you're going to hell, so na 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 na. No. He'd want me to love them just, just the same. He'd want me to say, okay, and bide my time, maybe look for another opportunity. Do something that still shows the love of God to them, but also having that, that joy that, okay, you know what? That's fine. I still have the joy because my joy is based on God. My joy is based on the fact that, that I can share in his sufferings. My joy is based on the fact that I'm going to serve him and I'm going to tell other people about him even if I get flogged or mentally flogged or virtually flogged by somebody because I say Jesus is Lord. That's fine by me. Simple things. That's that Matthew chapter 22 that we start, we had last week. Oops. And I want to end with at least partially this week. Matthew 22. Simple things. 22, 36 through 38. <clears throat> Excuse me. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, what? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the great and foremost commandment. So simple. In fact, Art was talking Wednesday night class about simplicity, right? It's simple. This is simple. If I love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, my strength, then I'm going to have that joy. I'm going to have that love. It's when I start putting myself before Jesus. That's when I start putting others before Jesus. It goes Jesus, others, self, in that acrostic there. And that, that goes right back to the greatest commandment. It's simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength. Second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If I love God the way I should, then my neighbor is going to come into that second spot there. And I'm going to have that joy that comes from knowing God is in control, that even if I suffer... It's okay. I'm going to have that joy of worshiping and fellowship with my brothers and sisters. And I'm going to have that joy in serving others and looking for the opportunity to serve others. Looking for the opportunity to serve my brothers and others and my Lord all at the same time. It goes right back to, again, the book of Philippians for me and the chapter headings that I have in mind. My first chapter heading is Christ, my life. Second chapter heading, number two, is Christ, my mind. Third is Christ, my goal. And the fourth is Christ, my strength. If I have him in my life, my mind, if he's my goal and he's my strength, I'm going to have that joy that he offers through his spirit. I'm going to have that love that he offers through his spirit. I want to read you really quickly here uh, part of what, what spurred the, the others and, and serving uh, in my mind here from the paper that my mother-in-law gave me. It's from another place called Orchard. Another congregation called Orchard, um, King's Orchard, I think this is. is that, am I right? Is that King's Orchard over there in Wenatchee? Yeah, King's Orchard. Um, the, the whole article is getting out of the building and into our community. And part of it says, every time we partner, well, actually, let, let me say, let me go back up one. How can we be light in the darkness when we only hang out with other candles? But that's what happens when churches only work with, other churches or Christian ministries. Here this person is, is advocating not just working with other Christian ministries or other churches, but even going out and partnering with people who are outside of that. 
It says every time we partner with secular community groups to do things we all care about, helping neighbors and cleaning up local park, for instance, our influence grows. And there are greater opportunities for Jesus to touch more lives. What if we choose to work with a shelter for abused women and children? Some of them have been abused by men claiming to be Christians. Those women may not seek out a church for help. But if we show up at their non-faith-based shelter to help clean, repair, paint, and otherwise improve their modest living conditions, we get to show Jesus' love to people who would never look for it in the church. When we work with unchurched people, we often hear non-churchy language and see less than holy behavior. And sometimes we see that in the church, too. They can ask us some pretty blunt questions about our faith, and we have to be ready to answer, listen, and love them no matter what. Sometimes in our enthusiasm to share our faith, Christians can come across as arrogant, rude, prideful, know-it-alls. Arrogance is not a Christian virtue. Yes, we may have the answer. His name is Jesus, but we don't have all the answers. Working alongside people toward a common goal is a great way to break us of that arrogance without compromising our values. There's nothing any of us can do to make Jesus look better than he already is. But humility looks good on us, and it helps others see Jesus a little clearer. You have to get outside the building. He says, see you at the gathering place, the place that prepares us and energizes us to get outside the building. A call to to look outside the building and, and serve others, which I thought was, that's, that's a noble call, to look to partner with other people. Because every time we have a chance to show Jesus to the world, it's another opportunity to show Jesus to the world. And we need to take advantage of every opportunity to show the love and the joy that a Christian should have. This week, I want you to think about the joy that you have in your life. Are you, are you showing the joy that comes from knowing that God is in control, that comes from understanding that even if we suffer, we suffer for a greater purpose and are perfected in that suffering? Are you looking for those opportunities to serve others, to serve your brother or sister or to serve others outside the body? Are you looking for the opportunities to serve the Lord in your joy? Look for those. Study that this week as we stand and as we sing.